Good afternoon. My name is Michael. I serve as one of the elders of Covenant Hope Church. It's so good to be with you and to open a new series in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Jonah. It's in the Old Testament, past Psalms and Proverbs. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. Just a quick raise of hands real quick. Uh, Who here has read the story of Jonah before? Something you're familiar with. Okay, yep, about half. Great. You're actually at a disadvantage, I think, today. Uh, Because it's a familiar story. You know what happens. There's this prophet. God tells him to go preach. Instead, he, you know, doesn't do that and gets swallowed by a fish. And that might be all you remember about the story. You know, it kind of ends there. And, um, you know, even this week in God's providence, I was reading um, a storybook Bible to the kids before bed. And we were in the story of Jonah. And it was interesting to see kind of that rendition to a kid, what the story of Jonah is about. Um, and I found that kind of the, the children's storybook version, there's this big fish, it swallows the prophet. You know, as a kid, you're wondering, like, how does a, a fish swallow a human? And then he lives in the fish for like three days and three nights. And your mind is kind of focused on those details. Um, I think maybe a more helpful way to think about the story of Jonah would be to kind of travel back in time to World War II. So imagine you're a Jew in World War II, uh, maybe right before World War II, it's 1936, and you get asked as a Jew to go to the Germans, to their capital city, Berlin, and preach against everything they're doing. Tell them, hey, this is all wrong and God's going to judge this. If you got that call, you probably wouldn't be too excited to journey to Berlin, would you? You know, the Germans, they hated the Jews. Throughout the Holocaust during World War II, they killed over six million of them. Now think about that. That's like the city of Dubai times two. In fact, you might not just be, you know, against going to Berlin, you might fear for your own safety, you might think like, those people there, they don't even deserve saving. Why would I go there? So think about that as we turn to the book of Jonah. I'm going to give you a few background details, and before I do that, I just want to do a quick overview. So think about, we're going to hop in a plane, we're going 30,000 feet, and we're just going to fly over the book of Jonah. I'm going to do it four times, so there's going to be four passes, okay? Here's the first one. Chapter one, Jonah runs. He runs from God. In chapter two, Jonah prays. He prays to God. In three, he preaches for God. We get all the way to chapter four. We find out Jonah's angry with God. That's the first pass. Second one, you know, Jonah's an interesting book. There's not just people. There's lots of uh, inanimate characters, like the wind. Chapter one, the wind obeys God. Chapter two, that fish. The fish obeys God. Chapter three, there's cattle. They obey God. Chapter four, there's a plant and a worm. Guess what? They obey God. You know, actually, there's only one character in the whole book who doesn't obey God. You'd be surprised about who it is. It's Jonah. All right, one more pass, two more passes. Chapter one, the sailors repent. 
chapter 2, we're kind of left wondering about Jonah. He does pray to God, but there are some things in his prayer that we kind of wonder, like, is he repentant? Is he not? It's not clear. Chapter 3, the Ninevites, they repent. In chapter 4, we're certainly left wondering about Jonah. We're wondering, will he repent? All right, fourth pass. Chapter 1. You know, the, the book of Jonah is really not about Jonah. It's not about sailors or Nineveh. It's really a story about God and his salvation that he gives freely. So chapter 1, God saves the sailors. Chapter 2, God saves Jonah. Chapter 3, God saves the Ninevites. Chapter 4, we're told that God saves because it's who he is. It's his character. He's gracious. He's merciful. He has steadfast love. And the book actually kind of ends abruptly. If you look there in Jonah, that last uh, two verses, it's a question from God to Jonah. It's kind of a rhetorical question. And we don't get Jonah's answer. So we don't really see what he does with it. The question, if I summarize it in my own words, it's God telling Jonah, should I not be merciful to anyone I want to be merciful to? And then the book ends. It's abrupt. And as we look at Jonah, we're going to find out that God's kind of holding a mirror up to the Israelites who first read this in that they were a little bit like Jonah too. He's also holding us up a mirror and he's asking us, do you reflect my character to the nations? So a little background for Jonah before we get into chapter one. Jonah, we know just a little bit about him. He was a prophet, obviously. Uh, if you go to 2 Kings 14, 25, you find out there's actually another Jonah, son of Amittai, so it's likely the same person. He was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam was an evil king, but Israel was really prosperous at this time. So that's a little bit about Jonah. If you think about that city of Nineveh, that's where he's going to be called to go. It was one of the capital cities of Assyria. If you know anything about the Old Testament, Assyria was one of the enemies of Israel, and they were particularly known for their brutality. So after a battle, they would take the captors and cut off their lips, or they would flay them alive. And that is actually an intimidating factor that they used in war. You know, you don't want to go to war with Assyria because look what they do to people. And that's the very city that God calls Jonah to. So let's look, Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. Let's read it. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down 
and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Jonah. We pray that as we study it, as we consider it, you'd convict us of sin, remind us of the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. We pray that as we behold the glory of Christ in the Old Testament, that we'd be transformed more into his image. In Jesus' name, amen. Main argument of chapter one. God redeems us even when we run. Nice and simple. God redeems even when we run. Three points in the sermon. Uh, Before we get into them, I just want to really look at verses 1 and 2 for a second. Um, If you turn there, you're going to see this commissioning kind of service of Jonah the prophet, right? Jonah the missionary. So look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord comes to Jonah and he says, arise, go. He's pretty direct with him. Uh, It's pretty clear what he wants him to do. Go to Nineveh and call out against it or preach against it. And the reason is because the evil of the people had come up to God. God saw it. So that's the commission. Now we're going to see the response. And really the rest of the book is that response. So point number one of three points, the man of God runs from God. The man of God runs from God. You know, I don't know if you've seen, I've got a, a year-and-a-half-year-old son. If I call him, uh, his name's Shepherd. I say, Shep, come, and you won't believe what he does. He runs the opposite direction. 
and we're working on that. But in many ways, Jonah is kind of like that little toddler, isn't he? God says, arise, go to Nineveh. Look at verse 3. What's the first thing Jonah does? We, hear, we see a but there, but, so we're kind of wondering, wait, why is that there? The first thing Jonah does is he flees. He rises and he flees. And we see here where he's running from. You know, if you look at this verse 3, it's kind of packed with information. He runs from the presence of the Lord. He's running from God. You know, um, ironically, this verse is kind of reflecting Psalm 139. If you know, it's that famous psalm where the psalmist reflects on, you know, where can you run from God's presence? Where can you go? He's everywhere. If you go here, he's there. If you go there, he's there. He's everywhere. And this verse reflects that a bit, but obviously we see the irony. He is trying to do that exact thing. You can't run from God, but that's exactly Jonah's plan. You know, Jonah's running from his responsibilities. He's not just running from the Lord. He's running from the task that God had told him to do. Go to Nineveh, preach this message. Jonah doesn't want to have any of it. You can imagine your boss asks you to do something at work, and you know what? It just crosses the line. You can't do it. You have to turn in your resignation that very day. Well, apparently that's how Jonah feels in this situation. And then we find out where he's going. So he's not just running from the Lord. He's going somewhere. He's going to Tarshish. To Tarshish. Three times in verse 3. To Tarshish, to Tarshish, to Tarshish. You know, it's, it's abundantly clear he's not going to Nineveh. Okay, we got that part. And I don't know much about Tarshish, but we know that it was the opposite direction of Nineveh. So God told him, go east. Jonah decides he's going to go west. And we kind of wonder in verse 3, why? You know, what is going on with this prophet of God? A prophet's one job, right, is to say, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord told me. And Jonah's, the first thing he does is say, like, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there. Why is he running? You, you heard a little bit about Assyria, so you might think, well, maybe he's scared for his life. If I show up to the enemy territory and, you know, preach against their sin, what are they going to do to me? They're going to kill me. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's probably why he's running. Uh, you know, I can't tell you the answer because it's in chapter 4, but we actually get Jonah's own confession in chapter 4. You can read ahead later. Uh, he tells us why he ran, and it's a surprising answer. But he doesn't just run. If you look at verses 2 and 3 and 5, he goes down. Did you notice that as we were reading the scripture? God said, arise in verse 2. If you look at verse 3, Jonah goes down. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the ship, verse 3. If you go to verse 5, you know, he keeps going down. He goes down in, into the ship. In verse 5, he keeps going down again. He lays down to sleep. In chapter 2, just to jump ahead briefly, verse 6, we see he's going to go down, 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 down to the ocean depths. That's where Jonah's going to be. God said, arise, get up. Jonah says, I'm going down. It's a spatial direction, obviously. You can go up or down. But in many ways, it's a spiritual decline that the author of Jonah is highlighting for us. Jonah is being disobedient to God. Notice he doesn't just go down. Jonah goes in. He goes inward, verse 5. So where is he in verse 5? Look there with me. 
Jonah's crawled down into the inner part of the ship. It's there he's fast asleep. So Jonah not only is fleeing from God, he's also fleeing from humans, anybody. Let me just find a little spot in the ship where nobody else is around. That's where I want to be. He's isolating. And we see he's sleeping. If you notice, um, there's a storm going on here. Apparently, it's a pretty bad one. And Jonah finds himself asleep in the storm. Jonah just wants to forget about his problems. He doesn't want to think about God. He doesn't want to think about a storm. He certainly doesn't want to think about people. And we see Jonah's running even more if you go to verse 9. In verse 9, he lies. Jonah lies about his relationship with God. Look at verse 9. In 8, he's asked that series of questions. It's like rapid-fire questions. And then in 9, he, he starts to answer. He tells the first thing, which is true. He says, hey, I'm a Hebrew. But then look at that second thing he says. It's so ironic. He says, I fear the Lord. And then he names the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He says he fears the Lord. You know, he certainly doesn't. I hope that's obvious to you. This prophet doesn't fear the Lord. To fear the Lord simply means to walk in his ways, to walk in obedience to his word. It means that you have a happy, heartfelt enjoyment in God. Do you think that describes the prophet Jonah here? It doesn't. So he says one thing. He says his belief, I fear the Lord. But look at his behavior. What does his behavior tell us about him? You know, lots of Christians, lots of people say, yes, I'm a Christian. You know, you probably know lots of people like that. Then you look at their behavior and you kind of wonder, you said you're a Christian, but you look at their life and you wonder, I, I, it doesn't look like you're living like a Christian. Well, that's the dilemma Jonah's in. We see his running from God, really, it gets probably to the lowest low in verses 11 and 12. Jonah is a prophet who desires death. He desires death. Look at verses 11 and 12. You know, they ask him, once they kind of figure out what, who he is and what he's doing, they say, what do we do to you that the sea will quiet down? Look at verse 12. Jonah says, well, just pick me up. Hurl me into the sea. Just throw me into the sea and all this will be over. And a lot of people debate about this, this verse. People think, okay, either it's sacrificial service, you know, hey, let me die in your stead. I'll go, you guys be safe. The other option is a little more sinister, though. It's that Jonah saying, pick me up and hurl me, is really just an act of stubborn selfishness. You know, hey, I would rather die than go obey God. Or the other option, Jonah, you know, sacrificing himself for the sailors. If you read the whole book, it seems pretty obvious to me. It seems like the second option. This is the prophet who would do anything other than go to Nineveh and preach God's word. And here he is, even wishing his own death. He'd rather that than obey God. You might be looking at Jonah now and thinking, this is a bad dude. I do not want to be like Jonah. But the reality is, and I think you and I both know this, we all run from God. All of us, we do it. To run from God, it simply just means to disobey God, right? God says, do this. We do the opposite. 
God says, don't do that. We do it. We all run from God. I, I found um, one author had some helpful illustrations for how we do it in different ways. He said, you know, some of us, we're like a turtle. So we hide from God and we hide from others and we kind of just go internal into our own little shell. Uh, that's how we react. Others of us are kind of the opposite. We're like a hedgehog, you know. Uh, you try to touch a hedgehog and you're going to get hurt by some prickly um, bristles, right? And when God or others try to get close to us, we kind of react that way, uh, defensively. Others of us are kind of like a stubborn mule. You know, a stubborn mule, it does what it says. It, it, anything it wants, that's what it's going to do. You can't change its mind. It doesn't matter if you try to reason with it. It will just do the thing it wants. And still others of us are more creative. We're like a sloth. You know, so when it comes to obeying God, we say like, yeah, I'm going to obey God uh, someday. And it's going to be soon. I'm going to do it eventually, you know, kind of on my own terms. I'm going to do it. Others of us, though, run, we're like a puppy dog. We run and we hide it. You know, it doesn't matter if we've had the worst day of our lives. Somebody says, how are you doing? And we go, good. Everything's great. And we act like that to God, too. It, you know, whether or not we run differently, the reality is we all run, and in many ways, all of us delay obedience, right? That's running from God. It could even look like, as you look at Jonah going inward, away from other people, it could look like you're running from God if you're neglecting gathering with the church. That's one way people run from God. You know, neglecting uh, to gather with the church is itself a sin, that's what Hebrews tells us. But most often, it's always the case that when somebody stops gathering with the saints, there's actually other things going on in their life. They just don't want to be around people. They don't want to worship God. And so they quit coming to church. But you could be somebody who comes to church every single week. You never miss a week. You come to Bible study every week. You never miss a week. You're always at prayer meeting. And yet you're still running from God. And it might look like for you... You value personal privacy so much that you just never open up with other people. You never share your life with other people. You're never vulnerable with other people. And you're never vulnerable with God. You never share with Him how you really feel. However you run, though, the most important thing to think about is why we run. Why do we run from God? And I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the very fact that God sometimes seems to not be the God that we want. He doesn't do things the way we want them to happen. You know, we look at the circumstances in our life, and to be honest, we're kind of disappointed. If we were God, we would have done things differently. Some of us even turn to angry. We're angry with God, so we give Him the silent treatment. We quit speaking to Him. We quit opening His Word to hear from Him. Whatever the reason, though, is, the reality is, all of us, when we run from God, we're actually running to something else, just like Jonah was running to Tarshish. So whatever that something else is to you, it's the thing that you think will truly make you happy. I know God said to do this, but I just feel like if I do that, that thing that he said not to do, my life's going to be better. I'm going to be a happier person. And we run, we run, we run. 
you know, there's an amazing contrast between Jonah, the prophet, and Jesus, the Son of God. We read it in uh, the bulletin. If you have your bulletin, uh, turn there with me to page 7. It's that scripture reading from Mark 4. This is an amazing story. I want you to see some similarities and differences between Jonah, the running prophet, and Jesus, the faithful one. So the similarities are, are pretty obvious. They're on a boat, right? Um, there's a great windstorm that arises in verse 37. The boat's being threatened, so the waves are breaking into the boat. And guess who's asleep down there in the inner boat? It's Jesus. And right now you might be thinking, oh no, that's not a good thing, because you know, for Jonah it was a bad thing. They even have to wake him up. Teacher, verse 38, don't, don't you care that we're perishing? And right here, after that question, all the similarities stop. So the author, Mark, is flagging for us, hey, I want you to be thinking about that story of Jonah over here. This is what happened with Jesus. So look back at chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 11. They ask him a question. They ask Jonah, you know, what do we do that the sea may quiet down for us? Right? We want the sea to be quiet. Notice in Mark what Jesus does. He gets up, he rebukes the wind, and said to the sea, peace, be still, silence, the wind ceased. It's amazing. And yet their reactions are the same. If you look at the sailors, the sailors respond after all this happens, and it says, verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Look at Mark 4. They're filled with great fear. They say to one another, who then is this? Who are we in, a, in the boat with? Because there's only one person who has control that they could utter a word and the seas cease. And that's God himself. So we think about Jonah's flight and we think about Jesus Christ's faithfulness Jonah, in many ways, is kind of like the anti-Jesus in this story. Jonah was told, go to Nineveh. What does he do? He flees. Jesus sent from the Father to Jerusalem, that city where he knows what's going to happen to him. What's going to happen to him there is that they're going to crucify him. They're going to kill him. How does he respond he goes. He goes gladly. You know, you look at Jonah, he says, I would rather die than obey God. But we look at Jesus, and he was willing to die to obey God. Jonah hated his enemies. Jesus died for his enemies. Friends, we look at the book of Jonah, but we need to get to Jesus. This story is really about Jesus. If we think about Jonah, though, it is for us a master class for us, you know, how not to be a prophet. If you're ever wondering that, you just read this book, and it provides you those lessons. Um, ironically, though, the sailors in the story, which we're going to turn to next, they actually give us a model of what, how to obey God, how to follow God. So point number two, the pagan sailors turn to God. So the prophet of God, the man of God, he runs from God, 
And the pagan sailors, what do they do? They turn to God. Look at verse 5. We find out these sailors, they're called mariners in the ESV, they're afraid. It says they're afraid. And you know why. There's a life-threatening storm. Look at even the language of the text. The ship threatened to break up, right? Ships don't do that. It's like the ship is coming to life. It's about to snap in half. And so the mariners are afraid. You know, it actually shares their fear three times in this story. And each time their fear grows. So verse 5, it says they're afraid. Verse 10, here they find out that, you know who Jonah's running from? It's the God who made the sea. They're thinking, Jonah, what are you doing, dude? And it says when they find out, they were exceedingly afraid. And then if we look at the end, once the sea is calm, they feared the Lord exceedingly. We see kind of a a change in their prayer too. Notice in verse 5, what do they do when they find out that their lives are in danger? Look at verse 5. They cry out, each one to his God. They're crying out in prayer. You know, they probably all worship different gods. And apparently none of those gods were answering their prayers, so that didn't work. In verse 6, they actually rebuke Jonah. They're like, Jonah, hey, wake up. What are you doing? Cry out to your God. The prophet gets rebuked. He's told, you need to be praying. And then at the end, look at verse 14. It ends with them calling out to the Lord. You see that it's capital L-O-R-D. This is the covenant name of God. They call out to Yahweh, and they sacrifice to Him. They make vows to Him. There seems to be some change in them. They were turned facing towards their own gods, crying out to their own gods. That didn't work. They told Jonah, hey, you call out to your God. He wouldn't. They end calling out to the Lord Himself. So if you look at their behavior, their behavior throughout the whole story is commendable. And at the end of the story, we find out that their beliefs have changed. They've changed gods. They now worship the one true God. So God sent this storm. It's not just to tell Jonah, hey, you should be going where I said you should be going. God also sent the storm for the salvation of these sailors. It was for their salvation. And I think we're reminded here that God, at any moment, in any time, can save anybody, anywhere. You know, I'm reminded of the story of Augustine. He was a bishop of North Africa from Hippo, which is modern-day Algeria. In 354, he was 17 years old, and he was going off to Carthage for school. And his mom said, all right, I've got one piece of advice for you, okay? And her one thing to tell Augustine, who's, you know, going to, going to go off to uni, was do not commit sexual sin. That's it. Don't do that. As Augustine reflects on his own life, he arrives in Carthage, and he describes the city like this. He says, Carthage was a hissing cauldron of lust. Soon he gets into the city. He finds a concubine. They live together for years but he's not satisfied and he realizes something about himself. He realizes that he's a slave to sin. He can't stop doing it. And he's 29, he goes to Rome and he's around Christians there in Rome. And he sees the Christians, he watches them and he observes something about them. They're free. 
They're not slaves to sin like he is. And one day he has a vision from the Lord. He hears the Lord telling him, take up and read. That's what he hears. So he opens up the Bible. He turns to Romans chapter 13, and he reads two verses. Let me read them to you. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So he reads that, and Augustine says, as I came to the end of that sentence, the light of confidence flooded into my heart, and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. He came to faith through reading the Word of God. You know, he would never have thought in a million years he'd become a Christian. His mom didn't either, but she prayed for him. And right before she died, he came to faith. And he's one of, um, one of the greatest church fathers of history. He's written so much that's benefited the church. It's a reminder to all of us, whether you're a sailor, you know, these are pagan sailors. And sailors are often known for kind of being a rough and rowdy crowd, right? Yet at the end of this story, God saves them. He saves them. God can save anybody. He can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. So if you're not a Christian, you know, I wonder as you look back on this story and you think about the sailors, they're so fearful. I wonder for you, you don't have a literal storm in your life, but what are you afraid of? What are kind of the things in your life that drive you out from yourself to cry out for help? And where do you turn to? Where do you turn to for help? Maybe some of you turn to your friends. Maybe you turn to your family members. Maybe you turn to drugs or drinking or money or your job. It's interesting here because the sailors turn to those gods, but the gods don't answer their prayers. And in fact, all false gods, at the end of the day, they'll fail us. They let us down. You know, friend, God created you to be near to him, to walk in his ways, to obey him. But the reality is for you, you've been running from God. You've been running since the day you were born. But we're reminded here in this story, how does God respond to runaways? How does he respond to those who flee from him? Well, the scriptures are filled with stories, but the Bible tells us that God is the God who leaves the 99. He goes after the one. And even when the one returns, you know, think of the prodigal son. How does the God respond to him? He has open arms for him. He welcomes him into the family. You know, I was talking to one brother. Uh, it was Carson. I'll out him. You know, I was talking to him about Jonah chapter 1. And he said, uh, you can run from God's grace, but you can't hide. What a good line. And friend, that's what I want to encourage you with today. You've been running. You've been running from God's grace. But you can't hide. God is everywhere. Like he sees the Ninevite's sin, he sees your sin. And yet still, he extends grace. If we look in this story, we see a prophet who runs from God. We see sailors who turn to God. You know, they're the models for us in this story. They fear God, not like Jonah who lies about it. They pray first, not like Jonah who is silent. 
They're the ones who worship God at the end of the story. They're models to us. Yet ultimately, this is not a story about Jonah or the sailors. It's about God. Point number three, the sovereign God saves everyone. The sovereign God saves everyone. Read the book of Jonah. Don't get caught up in the fish. Don't get caught up in all those details. Get caught up in the God who saves, who's sovereign. Notice in verse 1, what is the first thing he do? He sees their evil. He sees the Ninevites' evil. He sends a warning. He sends his word. He sends a prophet. The prophet doesn't go, but he will eventually. God cares about what they're doing. And he sends this warning. You know, we're reminded kind of of the language. It reminds us of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's about to judge them. But we see at the end of the story, God's actually gracious to them. We see how the sovereign God works too, because if you look at verse 4, who hurls that great wind? Who is it? Verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind. Who's behind the storm? If you look at verse 6, that captain, when he's questioning Jonah, he says like, hey, maybe your God will give a thought to us. The captain thinks we're in this storm because the gods aren't paying attention to us. Little does he know they're in the storm because God is paying attention. And he knows where Jonah is. And he sent the storm for Jonah. And I hope you noticed it. God hurls the great wind, but look what else is hurled in the story. The Lord hurls the wind. Verse 5, the sailors, they hurl the cargo. Eventually, Jonah's going to get hurled. Verse 12, verse 15. God's sovereign over all of it. And he's also the God who reveals the hiding prophet. You know, look at how Jonah, we find out that it's Jonah's fault we're in this situation. Uh, The captain wakes him up, and Jonah doesn't say anything about it, but he knows internally. He knows, like, this is all because of me. And so they decide to cast lots, which is this game of chance. And where does the lot land? God throws the wind The wind stirs the storm, the storm throws the boat, the boat throws the people, the people throw lots, the lot lands on Jonah. How in the world? God is orchestrating this. He's sovereign over it. And he's the one who eventually stops the raging sea. Look at verse 13. The sailors, you know, Jonah tells them, hurl me into the sea. But the sailors decide they want to try to save Jonah, which is commendable but they try in their own strength. You know, you wonder, verse 13, the men are rowing hard and hard to get back to dry land. These are seasoned sailors. They're strong guys. But how is it going to work when they're facing off against God himself? Who's going to win? We find out, though, in verse 15 that God wins eventually. That great tempest on the sea, it's been growing. In verse 4, it was growing. In verse 11, the sea's still growing. In verse 13, the sea's growing even more. The storm is getting worse and worse and worse as Jonah just will not obey. And then in verse 15, the sea ceased. It stops. God saves the sailors. We even see God's sovereign hand as he sends that great fish, verse 17. We're going to spend more time in this next week. But Jonah's hurled into the sea. He's sinking down, 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 down. And then he's swallowed up. 
Even there we see God's grace to save him. I wonder if you see God's grace in this story. Do you see God's grace in how he speaks and warns sinners of their sin? Do you see God's grace in that he disciplines his wayward prophet with a storm? Do you see God's grace in that he even reveals Jonah's sin by a roll of the dice? Do you see God's grace in that he, see, he saves not only the sinners, those sailors, he also saves the saints, Jonah. Friends, in Jesus Christ, there is grace upon grace upon grace. You know, I was listening to a song um, this morning, and uh, it, it just came on my, my radio station. It's called Runaway by Jess Ray. And as I was listening, I was, you know, prepping the sermon and thinking about it, and, and I thought, this is about Jonah, I'm pretty sure. It just fits so well. Let me read you some of the lyrics. It's kind of from the perspective of God to Jonah, but she says, even if you run away from me, over the mountains, through the valleys, I will not rest, but search east and west to bring you back with me. Even if you sail away from me, Across the oceans and the seas, I will move again like the mighty wind and blow you back to me. That's the grace that God shows to us in Jesus Christ. We sin just like Jonah. We rebel against God. He gives us his word so clearly. Arise, go, and we flee. And what does God do? He sends grace. That's the grace that Jesus bought for us on the cross when he died in our place, that death that we deserved, we should have perished like those sailors were about to or like Jonah was when he was sinking down to the depths of the sea. But instead, Jesus stood up and took our sin in his place. And then he rose again from the grave. And we can be sure of this, that God always keeps his promises and that means that there is grace available for you, if you're not a Christian, to turn back to God still. So friends, trust Him. Submit to God. Isn't that the, the lesson we see in Jonah today? That we need to submit to God even when we don't understand what He's doing, even if we disagree with what He's doing. He knows what's best. God redeems even when we run. As we look at the book of Jonah over the next four weeks, we'll find out that Jonah is kind of like a window and a mirror. It's a window in that God shows us who he is, and we're surprised how gracious he is. But in another sense, it's like a mirror. It kind of shows us who we are, and we're reminded there's actually a bit of Jonah in each of us. But still, we should be confronted by this text. We quickly run just like Jonah. We should also be comforted because we see how far God will go to extend his love to us. Friends, let's pray. God, you are the God of grace and compassion. And again and again and again, you show us 
that even when we run, you will redeem us. And you've done so in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the loving kindness you've showed us. None of us deserve any of it. Help us now, Lord. Help us extend this grace to others, especially our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.